I'm good. Let's do it. Hello there. We hope you are enjoying the summer. We sure are. This is Mom Sipping Sangria. And you know, over the past two seasons, Anita and I have had some amazing chats with some amazing people over some very tasty sangria. So, we thought we would share a few of our favorite conversations with you for this episode. Best of season one of Mom Sipping Sangria, where we revisit our chat with the gal who started it all with us, career coach Sarah Vermont. Then we head into our conversation with dream expert and all-around fascinating gal, Lori Lewenberg, who has interpreted dreams for everyone from The View to Dr. Oz, um, Good Morning America, The Today Show, and on and on and on. She was a really cool chat. And then we wrap it up with Terry Hart. If you're running out of good TV and movies, Terry tells us some of her faves back from season one. And I'll tell you, Anita, I still haven't watched that movie she was raving about. So that is my August watch for sure. So got to get to that. That's funny that you say that because it just popped up in my feed that I still need to watch it because I had put it as a, you know, I will like it or whatever. Um, and I watched most of the other shows, but that one too. So both of us, August deal. <laughs> um, so all of this on the best of Mom Sipping Sangria season one. Cheers. Cheers. All right, we start Best of Season 1 with Careergasm founder, Sarah Vermont. Enjoy! I chose the name Careergasm because I really wanted to come up with something that was all about work feeling good. And I thought, well, what would feel better than a careergasm? Wow. Um, so it really, <laughs> it really encompasses <laughs> the, the vibe that I'm trying to bring to people in their work lives. And I think our relationship with our work should be very much like the relationships we have in the rest of our lives in that they should feel good most of the time. Excellent. So if they're dysfunctional, then you need to break it off just like you would in a, in a real relationship. You talk a little bit about, you know, joy being a good motivator when it what motivates us to make change. And but sometimes it's the opposite, right? It's pain. So can you talk about the different motivating factors in a little bit greater depth and maybe, um, you know, what people should be looking out for? Sure. Yeah, I'm a big believer in joy and desire as you you know, one of the motivators towards moving towards something that feels good. But honestly, in my experience and in the experience of my clients, I actually find pain is a much stronger motivator to help people make change. And I think that's the case because it forces us actually, just like Anita was saying, she had a big life change and she felt like she no longer had a choice. She had to quit. I think that's the case for a lot of people, you know, whether it's a big life change with, um, you know, maybe needing to devote more time to a parent who's sick. Uh, I happen to work with a lot of people who are burned out and have a lot of health issues because work has gotten so bad. And in their cases, pain is the primary motivator telling them that they have to get out. I can totally relate to that because uh, for me, it was also pain that was that that drove me to make that change. Um, of course, it's been a leap of faith. And I think that was the same for yourself. So I'm hoping that um, that my leap of faith will, you know, take me to the places that uh, that that you're in right now. 
I'm going to jump in there and say, you know, I think I think when you say burned out and, and health issues, that that really is you can't ignore those, right? Because your body and, and your mind are, are giving you little hints that this isn't good, this isn't healthy, and then they kick you in the butt, and you you don't have a choice um, if you, like you said, you you have a public meltdown or you have a breakdown or you you develop an ulcer or something that really is just kind of jumping at you, saying we have got to take a look at our life and see what's wrong. Yeah, that's right. And I work with a lot of people who are on sick leave because their health has gotten so bad or on the verge of having to do something like that. And most of the people I work with helping them make career changes have been sort of knowing on some level that they've had to make a change for a couple of years, but have been trying to push through. Um, And there just comes a point when your body starts to shut down, especially where you know, okay, now's the time. I mean, how bad do things need to get before I make a change? It's a huge, yeah, the, the physical symptoms and the health issues are a huge factor for a lot of people in being kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back. Most people choose to celebrate the anniversary of a new job, but uh, you choose to celebrate the anniversary of a breakdown. And so why why do you think that? Well, for me, my very embarrassing public meltdown in the middle of a crowded Starbucks was the moment when I decided I had to let go. I felt like I was clinging with my fingernails to this career that I had worked very hard to build, by the way, Um, you know, getting to the tail end of a PhD, a job as a professor, professor, anyone who works in kind of a prestigious profession, um, and I'm no exception here, we tend to relate a lot of our identity to our work. And so I've been clinging with my fingernails to all the work I'd put into the identity I built for myself. And when I finally broke and had a meltdown, I felt immediate relief because I had finally decided that I was going to leave. Um, I stayed in my teaching post until the end of the semester, but I did give notice the very next day. And so for me, that was worth celebrating because in that moment when things felt the worst, everything changed. And I actually think that's true for quite a lot of people. Certainly my clients have told me that's true for them. So you have like this moment of empowerment once you make that decision and all of a sudden things just start to improve and then the health comes a little bit better, I would imagine. Yeah, that's right. Now, it wasn't a beautiful straight through line to everything being magical right away. I think it would be, you know, painting too pretty of a picture to say that's what typically happens for people. You know, making a career change can be somewhat messy and there's a lot of uncertainty. And the uncertainty, I think, is why a lot of us um, hesitate to make the change. I don't know about you, but I like Mm -hmm. to have things locked and loaded Mm -hmm. and know exactly what's coming down the line. And that's not really possible when you're in the middle of a career change. Sure, you can do your research, you can do some planning, figure things out, but there is a level of uncertainty around it. And so I was sort of in like a messy middle phase as I was building careergasm and not quite knowing if it would work out. One thing I think can be really helpful, though, when you're in that phase is to ask yourself, okay, what's the worst case scenario if this thing doesn't pan out? And in my case, I said, okay, I'm really going to try with this business. Luckily, it's worked out. But I thought, if it doesn't work out, worst case scenario, I will get a job doing something else. And as far as worst case scenarios go, honestly, it wasn't that bad because I was so miserable in my previous job. I can totally, totally. I think think there's a lot of people out there who can totally agree to that for sure. Um, So, Sarah, if someone wants to make a change and wants to hire you, how do they reach you? Um, They can find me at careergasm.com. I'm a special kind of career coach. I tend to help people who know they want to leave what they're doing, but they don't really know what they want next. So they would happily 
you know, channel their energy towards something else if only they knew what it was. So I'm a clarity career coach. Mm. Um, and so people can find out about my work at careergasm.com. I'm also at careergasm on Instagram and everywhere else. Excellent. And we love your website. It is, it is really uh, awesome that, what do, what do you call that form of cartoon? It, it's kind of like comic book style. Yeah. Cartoons. Yeah. It's really awesome. <laughs> you know, and to me, it, it kind of takes the edge and the fear out of making that change, which I think, I don't know if that was intentional, but it was very smart. It's, it's a really good website to, even if, if, if you're listening and you're just thinking, uh, you know, maybe I'll just check it out. It's going to totally disarm you. It's going to make mm. you feel good about even thinking about it. So Sarah, thank you. You are awesome. I'm so happy that you're doing this and uh, I know at least five people I'm sending your way what about you Anita oh my goodness I think <laughs> possibly 10 excellent thanks <laughs> thanks so much for your time and continued success with careergasm thanks my pleasure ladies Oh, Sarah was so great. And we interviewed her before the whole COVID pandemic. So imagine how many more people by choice or by force are now looking to make a career change. So you can visit uh, Sarah Vermont and check out what she has to offer if you are looking for a change in career or life at careergasm.com. Our next guest we talked to was Lori Lowenberg, and she is fascinating. We all dream. We may not all remember, but if you do remember a couple of dreams and you think, my gosh, what the heck was that all about? Like Anita and I do so much. She can help interpret those. So our next best of season one guest, Lori Lowenberg, the dream expert. So, um, Lori, we want to start by finding out um, why you became a dream analyst. What was the motivation for this career? Well, I've always been a very vivid dreamer, and I can remember my dreams since I was two, three years old. I would draw them down when I'd wake up in the morning. When I got older, I'd start writing them down. I had no idea what a wonderful thing I was doing for myself by documenting the other side of my mind. But it wasn't until I was 19 and um, my grandfather died and he was the first person close to me that ever died. So it was, you know, a, a very big coming of age moment. And I got very depressed for about two weeks after his death. And I had a dream where it really seemed like it was him coming through to me. And in the dream, I knew he was dead, and we were walking arm in arm through a museum, and I asked him, what's it like where you're at? And he said, I can't tell you that, but what I can tell you is that it's secure. Then he gave me a hug, and he walked up the staircase, and I woke up, and I could smell his old spice. I could still feel him around me. It was so real. It, It really seemed like it was him coming through. And that's the dream that propelled me to study dream psychology because I wanted to know what just happened to me. What happens every night? Why do we do this? Does it mean anything? What is the purpose? Wow, that must have been so powerful, right? Yeah, yeah. We're going to come back to that, actually, because I do have a question on that. But let's, let's break it down even further. And so what is a dream and why do we dream? Okay, so dreaming is actually a thinking process. 
you are thinking when you're dreaming. It is a continuation of your thought stream of the day. We're constantly thinking. We always have this inner dialogue, or is it an inner monologue? I don't know. We're talking to ourselves. It's always happening. There's always a thought process. When we drift off to sleep, that thought process is still happening. But then once we fall asleep and enter REM sleep, which is when dreaming takes place, that thought process is still happening. But now, instead of thinking in words like we normally do throughout the day, we're thinking in symbols and metaphors because the brain is working differently when we're in REM sleep. Uh, Different parts of the brain are turned off, like the part of the prefrontal cortex that controls linear rational thought. Other parts of the brain are turned on or or exaggerated or highly active like the amygdala, which is the emotional center of the brain. So you're still thinking, you're still commenting on your day, but it's a much deeper form of thought. It's a very honest form of thought. It's symbolic. So it's not literal, it's symbolic. And that's why dreams seem so weird. And you mentioned you think that dreams are basically on that theme, a built-in therapist. You really have to pay attention to them because they're trying to tell you things. Yeah, 100%. You know, we're all built with our answers that we need for our life, built right in. You know, no one really knows what you need for you at any moment in your life better than you. And so the subconscious will speak to us through our dreams and guide us and advise us and warn us and inspire us through the dream state. It, it is a, a form of therapy because when you can compare your dreams to what's going on in your day right now, especially when you're going through something really difficult, you know, a, a breakup of a relationship or you're in between jobs and don't know what to do with your life or you're trying to get over a death, you know, whatever struggle you're dealing with, your dreams are focusing on it and they're going to help you with it if you pay attention to them. That really makes sense. And during this quarantine that we um, we have found ourselves in, on your blog you write that um, these quarantine dreams might be the best thing to happen to us. Uh, can you just explain that a little bit more? Okay, so since quarantine, I actually had no idea how good it would be for me <laughs> because... Everybody started remembering their dreams. It became this phenomenon. Everyone was tweeting about their quarantine dreams. And, you know, and people who normally do remember their dreams, their dreams are suddenly longer and more vivid than normal. And it it was this amazing phenomenon. Everybody was like, I think every media outlet in the entire world came to me and asked me about this. And it's such a wonderful thing because we're all now paying attention to our dreams and we're not dismissing them and we're wondering about them and we're trying to figure them out. And the reason why this is happening is because with lockdown, we're not having to get up at six in the morning, roll out of bed, get ready for work and go. We get to stay in bed longer, which means we reach that last cycle of REM we have before we wake up naturally for good. And that last cycle of REM that we have is about 45 minutes long. So we don't wake up to an alarm clock, which is the biggest killer dream we call. We are waking up naturally and we're getting that long session of REM and we're remembering our dreams. Fascinating. Yeah, so they're not necessarily weirder. They're just being recalled more. Yeah. And so for people who normally, like myself, I usually like hit the pillow and I'm gone for the night and I don't remember any of my dreams. So do you have any like tips for people to, to remember them? Yeah, actually, it's one of the easiest things to do to remember your dreams. So when you wake up, 
whether it's in the middle of the night to visit the bathroom or you're waking up for good in the morning, it is crucial that you do not move. You want to stay in the exact same position you woke up in because that's the position your body was in when you were dreaming. So if you move your body when you wake up, you're essentially unplugging yourself from the dreaming you were just in seconds ago. So you want to stay put and quiet your mind. Don't think about what you have to do today. Let your mind be blank. Lay there in that quiet, still time. Give yourself like three to five minutes and the dream will come back to you. And that's all it takes. And it might, in the beginning, it might just be, oh, uh, there's a song on my mind. Well, that's on your mind because it had something to do with your dream. Or maybe you just remember something about a dog. Great. Write that down. The more you do this, it's like working a muscle. The stronger your dream recall will get. And before you know it, you'll be remembering all your dreams throughout the night. And by the way, we all average about five dreams a night. Do we really? Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, every 90 minutes throughout the nighttime, we enter REM sleep. So the first cycle of dreaming of the night will be eh, five, 10 minutes long. And then the next cycle will be longer than that. And each cycle is longer than the previous one. And then that last one before we wake up for good. If we wake up naturally without an alarm and get to sleep in, it can be about 45 minutes to an hour long. And that's why it seems wow. like you can go through like a, a week in your dreams where you're revisiting yes. uh, the next day or the week after or something. I see. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So, Lori, we also found on your website something really, uh, really cool, and it's a common theme around here. We're trying to, you know, keep it together and not lose it. And you have five warning dreams that you are about to totally lose it. One of them is uh, missing a plane or a bus. Right. Okay. So, as we go through these, let me know if, if either one of you get these. Okay. Okay. So, missing a plane or a bus. Now, this will happen when you are feeling some sort of deadline pressure. So, you know, if you, you have a job where, like, you're a journalist or you, you have projects and you always are up against a deadline, this is a very common dream. Um, but if you don't have that type of job, you'll get this dream when perhaps you're under a personal deadline. You know, like you want to lose 15 pounds by the time you reach your high school reunion or uh, reach a, a career goal at a certain time. This dream can also happen when you feel like you're missing out on an opportunity, that something might be passing you by. So that's a common dream that um, Diane Sawyer actually gets. Okay. Um, losing your car or your car gets stolen is another sign that you might be about to lose it. Yes. Okay. So the car will represent your motivation or drive to move forward with something. It's your ability also to move on from something. It's your ability to go where you want to go in life. So if you're losing it or it's stolen, that's a good indication you've lost your drive to continue on with something or you are feeling direct. The dream is a warning, you know, that you've lost your mojo. You need to find a way to get it back or you need to find a direction and focus on that direction. Cool. So we're going to do one more and then I'm going to get everybody to to read the um, the blog piece on your um, uh, website. Tidal wave is another one that is a warning uh, sign in a dream. So what does the tidal wave mean? Okay, so water in our dreams will most often represent our emotions at the time of the dream because our emotions like water are very fluid. When the water is threatening like a tidal wave, that means you're beginning to feel very emotionally overwhelmed to the point that you're 
emotions are running so deep about something that it is threatening to pull you away like a tidal wave does from your normal routine or your normal peace of mind. And you may even begin to be feeling way in over your head with something. So if you're getting that dream, you know, you may need to take something off your plate or you may need to get yourself out of a situation that you can't seem to handle. Well, ain't that the truth? That makes a lot of sense. Okay, that's amazing. And I think, Anita, you wanted to revisit um, uh, what uh, Lori talked about earlier, too, before we, we wrap up with her. I'd like to just circle back to when you were talking about um, after your grandfather passed and yeah. you had that incredible experience. So would you say that was a dream or was that something more? I do believe it was a contact. Of course, I can't say, mm-hmm. you know, unequivocally, conclusively, yes, this is my very deep feeling. And I have also spoken with thousands and thousands of people who have had similar dreams that seem to be a contact. That's not to say that every time you dream of someone that has died, that it's them. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, it's not. It's just a sim- there are a symbolic representation of some part of your personality or something along those lines. But the contact dreams, they're different. They feel different. They're very, very, very vivid. The person in your dream looks absolutely healthy and beautiful. And they usually have some sort of message like, I'm still here. I am fine. Everything is the way it should be. Carry on. Something like that. What was yours like? Very, very similar to what you're describing. I've had that with people who are present in my life. It could even be someone that I've met of theirs, but that's very important to them. And then I'll tell them, hey, I had this dream and they can do with it what they feel like. But I do feel like you that it could be a little bit more than just a dream. So thank you for that. Well, here's scientifically why I also think, aside from just it being my belief and my personal experience scientifically here's why i think it's possible you know science tells us that everything that exists gives off some kind of vibration and travels in waves you know we have radio waves light waves uh, our heart works in waves you know that that's how we exist how anything that exists so if consciousness exists after bodily death it is going to have a vibration and travel in waves so who is to say that when we go to sleep and enter REM sleep our brain waves have slowed down to the perfect frequency where we can tune in like a radio to that consciousness that's out there and communicate and receive messages that's why I think it's possible. That, there's something to that. that for sure. To for sure. For sure. Laura, we could talk to you all day, all night. You are so fascinating. And, and this world that you're studying and you've become such an expert in is uh, really, I mean, it's it's just so interesting. Um, are we missing anything else that you feel people should keep in mind about their dreams or the dream world? Would you like a final, final say on anything? Sure. So never dismiss your dream as just a dream. It's easy to do when it's really bizarre, very disturbing. Oh, it's just a dream. Well, it's not just a dream. It was a very, very, very important communication that your subconscious was trying to give you. So in order to start figuring out what those messages are that you're sending yourself through the dream, start keeping a dream journal in tandem with a day journal. So you can connect the dots between what happens in your day today and what you dream tonight. Because whatever you dream tonight, it is triggered by something that happened today. It's connected. I suggest keep them in the same 
notebook. Write your day at the end of the day on the left side. And then when you wake up in the morning, write down your dreams on the right side. So you have them next to each other and you can see how your dreams correlate with what happened in your day and what, how you felt that day and what you thought about that day. And the insight you'll get in that can be mind-blowing. That is awesome. Well, Lori, thank you so much. Um, you have tons of amazing articles out there that you've posted. You have a couple of books. Where can we find you and where can people follow you? Okay, so you can find me um, through my website, laurielowenberg.com. But Laurie Lowenberg is kind of hard to spell. So if you just Google Dream Expert, I'm the first one that comes up. Nice. And then you can also follow me on Twitter at The Dream Expert and um, on Instagram. Check out my pinup art because I'm also, in addition to a dream analyst, I'm also a pinup artist because my dreams kept nagging me to start painting. And now I have a thriving pinup business where I paint or draw you as a pinup girl. And so you can find me on Instagram at pinup underscore artist underscore oh. Laurie Lowenberg. So just start typing pinup underscore and I'll pop up. And you know okay. what? I did see those pieces. They are fantastic. And mm-hmm. I just love it. You have a real talent there. So clearly your dreams, uh, your dreams were correct on that one. They were. They, they would not leave me alone for like 18 years. So I finally said, OK, subconscious, I get it. And I started painting. And within two years, I had a thriving pinup business. Oh, my gosh. I, I think that'd be such a great, interesting uh, gift, too. So we'll definitely um, we'll definitely put that on our social media, Lori, for sure. OK, cool. Thanks. Well, thank you so much for your time again fascinating subject you're a fascinating lady please uh, stay well and safe and thanks for joining us today on mom sipping sangria okay our final best of season one terry hart she is an entertainment expert as Anita and I said off the top, we still haven't seen um, a couple of things she has recommended. So by all means, listen to what she has to offer and add them to your watch list. Terry Hart, our final highlight on Mum's Sipping Sangria Best of Season 1. Enjoy! Well, I don't want anybody to be super overwhelmed. So I'm not going to tell anybody to start watching something that has 20 seasons and you've got hundreds of hours to watch. The first thing I'm going to recommend is one of my favorite movies of all time, and it's recent. It's on Amazon Prime, and it's called Wild Rose. Wild Rose is a movie that I fell in love with at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2018. And when I saw it, I thought, this is going the distance. This is going to have Oscar nominations, blah, 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 blah. It ended up being nominated and winning some BAFTAs, which are the British equivalent of the Academy Awards, but it kind of fizzled out here in North America. And that happens sometimes with smaller movies, but it's sitting there for you to enjoy on Amazon Prime right now. It stars Jesse Buckley, and for anybody who watched Chernobyl, which was on HBO or Crave in Canada, you'll recognize her from that. She plays a sort of ne'er-do-well Scottish girl. When we first meet her, she's getting out of jail for a petty drug crime. She's a single mother of two children. And all she wants to do is run off to Nashville and be a country singer. And it sounds kind of like, meh, I don't know if I want to go there. But you do want to go there because you'll be so surprised at how your allegiance to Rose kind of shifts and molds throughout the movie. I found myself actually, believe it or not, 
hoping that she could get to Nashville. And we don't see that for moms very often in in movies, right? We see them, the big reward is being the great mother. And in this, the reward is her following her dream. I'm not going to tell you if she goes to Nashville or not. That would be a spoiler. Everybody I've recommended this movie to has absolutely loved it. Wild Rose you can watch with a family. That's completely safe family viewing and actually could bring up some interesting conversations. Okay. So it's called Wild Rose on Amazon Prime. Wild Rose, Amazon Prime. Cool. Okay, what else you got for us? Um, Sex education. If you have a really, really open household, (laughs) uh, you could watch it with your teenagers. Frankly, your teenagers have probably already watched watched it. It is um, Julian Anderson, who we remember from X-Files, but she's nothing like her character in X-Files. She plays a sex therapist who's a single mom to Asia Butterfield, um, and he is a 17-year-old boy who discovers he actually gives pretty good sex advice in high school, so he starts uh, uh, underground pay sex advice <laughs> business at his high school with his friend Maeve, who he has a crush on, and it's, there's a lot of sex talk in it. It's very, very out there and bold about sex. So um, if you don't have a very open household, if that's not something, if that would make you uncomfortable with your kids, don't watch it with them. But I love this series. It's two seasons right now. It's on Netflix. You're going to fall in love with all of these characters. Um, Asia Butterfield's best friend, Eric, is um, a very out gay character who I cannot wait for season three because I miss Eric in my life so much. (laughs) It's one of those series that you'll just fall in love with. And, you know, you learn things. And for me, I'm 48 years old. And I think this is how kids are talking about sex now. And which is very different from when I was a teenager and when I was in high school. So I think that, you know, they're very open. They talk about all kinds of sex. And I think that it's, you know, kind of informational for parents as well as being really, really entertaining. Yeah, I'm going to have to, um, I, I'm, I'm the kind of parent that gets really uncomfortable when the scenes come up and I'm watching stuff with my kids. I, I fast forward it or say, you guys watch that on your own. So maybe independent viewing for both of us, but it does sound super interesting. Yeah, it's great and, and it is absolutely entertaining and Jillian Anderson is a fantastic character as a sex therapist in it. I love Jillian Anderson. I was a huge X-Files fan. Aha. I always love it when we get to see actors that we love playing a character that's so different than what we fell, first fell in love with them for. And this is a very, very different character for her. Yeah. Okay, we mentioned Amazon Prime. We've mentioned Netflix. Is there something maybe on Crave that you could recommend? Yeah, so there are a couple things on Crave. Um, so years and years, uh, this is a spectacular six-part series, one-hour episodes each. It stars Emma Thompson as a kind of alt-right-wing politician in the not-so-distant future. So it starts in 2019, quickly jumps to 2024, and then the six seasons take us through one year each, and we end up in 2029. Um, This isn't sci-fi. It's in the very, very near future. So everything they're doing, how they're interacting with technology, how they're interacting with each other, how they're interacting within their homes, seems very familiar. It's just a little bit heightened, and it's dealing with issues that we are talking about every day now. So everything from immigration issues to banking crises 
to um, major countries leaving long institutions like the EU and the UN. And it's all told through um, the lens of this one family, the Lyons family. There are four siblings and then their spouses and the matriarch of the family who is their grandmother. If you're having super anxiety around this self-isolation time and COVID-19 and the pandemic that we're living in right now, this might not be for you. It might be a little bit triggering, but for anybody who is just kind of interested in the possibilities of what all this is, this is not dealing with a health pandemic, but it is dealing with politics and finances and, and the stress of the time. And again, this is kind of flown under the radar a little bit. You know, I could talk about Tiger King. I can talk about, you know, Ozark and all those shows that everybody knows. But I'm trying to kind of get people interested in things that might have flown under the radar. That's so cool. And you're right, because we know when we called you originally, um, you had both just finished Ozark and I'm watching season two. And then we talked about the Tiger King. And you're right. Everybody kind of defaults to these go to things. So this is great that you're giving us, um, you know, the more obscure, overlooked ones. Are are there other things that you want to put on our radar? Well, on the opposite side of the spectrum, we just saw um, the season series finale of Shit's Creek. Mm-hmm. And this is a show that all Canadians should be so super proud of. It's a show that is made here by Canadians. It's incredibly funny. It is broken through universally and especially in America in such an incredible way. Dan Levy, Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, Annie Francis, they're all incredible talents. Emily Hampshire as well. And they're short, right? They're less than half hour episodes. So you can plan through the seasons quite quickly really fun to watch with the family it's it's just a remarkable success story for Canadian talent I remember them at the Emmys and how they were so well received and like they were rock stars in that audience which I found so um, so interesting yeah well I mean the Emmys Eugene and Dan you know they they opened the show and it was kind of like we're your non-host hosts right and it was amazing the reception they received and that's it, it was wonderful to see that I was thrilled for them and I've been a fan of the show from day one And now that it's getting all this kind of hoopla around it ending, I think people are just starting to catch on to it, or some people are, and it's a high, high recommend for me. And Terry, what about just uh, a few others? Just throw them out there and we'll look into them ourselves. Parasite's going to be coming on streaming services at the end of April, and you can go back and watch some Bong Joon-ho movies. Both Snowpiercer and Okja are on Netflix. They're directed by him, and they're not in Korean. They are English movies, if you have an adversity to subtitles. Um, There's a great six-part comedy, rom dramedy series called Feel Good um, with a Canadian comedian by the name of Mae Martin. Um, And if you want a really interesting documentary, I was fascinated by this doc on Crave called McMillions. Remember when McDonald's used to do the Monopoly game? Yes. It was a scam, guys. Well, I'm glad I didn't play it then. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Why? I thought it was a scam in Canada, but there was a huge scam about it in the United States. And this kind of peels back all the layers. And it really makes you look at the fact of, you know, some criminals who think it's a victimless crime. Really, this guy who did this, and I'm, again, I'm not going to tell you who it is. You got to watch it because it's fascinating who this guy is. He ruined 
businesses. <sighs> Thousands of people lost jobs because yeah. of the monopoly McDonald's. No way. So McMillions. Yeah. That's on Crave. Cool. Crave here in Canada. And if anybody's listening anywhere else, HBO. And one thing that's been hit hard is uh, theater releases, right? Like I know that so many people and myself included, Anita, I know you, you like to go out to the theater and, and see movies. I was really looking forward to a quiet place too. And the new bond one. And there's so, so many movies that now have been delayed. What do we know about, um, about what's happening with them, Terry? Oh, it's a bit of a, you know, chase the dancing ball. Um, because it's, it's a really complicated issue. The theater business, movie business is going to be one of the hardest hit businesses in this entire pandemic. I think, um, we don't actually know. They changed Fast and Furious to be 2021, and they stayed with that date. But, you know, Quiet Place 2, they didn't even put a date for it because we just don't know when this is going to end. It's going to be a graduated kind of return to normal. And the problem is when you have a movie that costs as much money and is expected to make as much money as Top Gun, I'll use that as an example, um, or the Bond movie, those studios aren't going to give that movie to exhibitors when exhibitors are only allowed to sell 50% of the seats Hmm. because that's a big financial difference in terms of how much money that movie will make at theater. So I don't know. I wish I had an answer. I wish I had a crystal ball. I miss going to the movies. I think I used to average, you know, two or three movies a week. Wow. And I, yeah, I miss movies terribly. It's a huge, huge kind of gap in my life. I want to sit in the theater and have the lights go dim and watch those trailers and ooh and ah and gasp and cry and laugh with a group of people. That to me is a wonderful, wonderful community experience and it's something that I don't think we can replicate with any other entertainment experience. Definitely tough for uh, those of us who love going to uh, movie theaters, but as you mentioned, Terry, lots of at-home theater selections, so at least we, uh, we have things to keep us entertained until the new normal happens. And we are inching our way to that new normal as we release this podcast in July of 2021. An update on Terry Hart, by the way. Terry has joined a super channel as entertainment producer and host, and that happened in June. So you can look for Terry and her work and her recommendations on Super Channel. Thanks so much for listening to Mom Sipping Sangria. Best of Season 1. Now, Sarah, Terry, and Lori were just three of the many fabulous guests we chatted with in Season 1. You can visit our website, momssippingsangria.com, or wherever you stream your podcasts and listen to the rest of Season 1. Next episode, the best of Season 2. We hope you join us over Sangria for that one as well. Until then, stay well and cheers. Cheers. Mom Sipping Sangria is produced by Elm Podcasting. Cha-cha-cha. Keep going. Woohoo! Hello. Yeah.